1: and their essential
3: love of justice.
1: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 6,
3: 2022, a Eve show. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And
0: welcome, Tim Schifflin.
3: Good evening,
0: sir.
1: All right, this is our final show before the election, and yes, we are going to have some election picks, and also what's become another tradition is this, uh, we're going to have as our guest from public policy polling, Tom Jensen, who was our final guest in 2020, I want to say he may have been our final guest in 2018, he's going to be our final guest before the midterms again this time. And so we're going to find out, you know, where the polls stand. And we're also going to ask about polling because there's still, um, you know, some real um, variations in the polls and some questions there. So we're going to be into that conversation in just about 20 minutes. But until then, we're going to start off with just some kind of general, like, where do each of us think this race sits because I find it so cloudy. Because if I could make a chart of things that look good for Democrats and things that look good for Republicans or conventional wisdom that's good for Republicans and other metrics that are good for Democrats and put things all across the um, chart, I'll probably do some of that in a minute. But I don't want to have all the say. Um, Catherine, what are your thoughts on how things look right now? And I know it varies from state to state, but in general, that that General party trend.
3: I am optimistic about. um, (coughs) Excuse me. About Democratic results on Tuesday. Um, So I doubt we'll see a lot, some results on Tuesday. It may be Wednesday or Thursday before we see a lot of this. But um, I just I I feel and I've mentioned this before. I feel this. rumble of activity sort of below the um, surface that we're not uh, seeing in the polls, that we're not seeing in uh, a lot of the reporting. So that's my general uh, feeling. I don't have any, uh, like, data or anything about that. It's just a feeling I have.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to have some data. Um,
3: and I'll tell you the good news I, it is,
1: it is about counting votes. Now, it's going to vary from state to state. Like, you know, Pennsylvania may take forever. States that do mail-in are going to be a little longer if they're close. But in Georgia, one of the few good things that came out of that voting bill is that they actually are able to um, get all those early votes ready to count. In Georgia, may actually count a lot faster than they have in recent cycles. Um, I was reading that from Stephen Fowler of Georgia Public Television. Um, so that's some good news about things being faster in at least one state. I wish all states would could pre, you know, get all their early votes ready, so at least we'd have no. I mean, no is probably about half the votes very quickly. Um, Tim, um, what's your general sense?
0: Yeah, let me let me. Um Add something to what you just said, David. Thirty-six states uh, are in a position to report early voting and absentee voting um, quickly because they, under their laws, they can start counting them early or, or whatnot. There, the other states do not. Among those states that do not are Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. You might recall those were two of the states um, that came in the very latest, you know, um, two years ago, um, when, when most, most of the election was already but, but But especially in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania could be, oh, you know, two or three days before, before we get those. Now, as to what I think. You, you know, we were talking about this before we went on, on the air, and, and like you, I've I been scratching my head a lot this year because, uh, you know, we're just things going back and forth, things on social media, things on, you, you know, cable news, this, that, the other, up, down, this issue, that issue. Uh, and so what I finally decided to do, was look at this thing from a historical perspective because it was all I knew to do, and and to treat it as if it is a normal midterm. So when the president's approval is below 50% and Biden's at 44 in his first midterm, since 1946, that's happened seven times, and the average loss of House seats for presidents in that position has been forty three. Now the only thing that'll keep that number lower, of course, is that there just aren't that many uh competitive seats that somebody could lose forty three seats. Uh right now the Democrats have forty four toss up seats and the Republicans have twenty and and frankly each party will probably hold most of their seats. Um practically every polling outfit in this country has the election trending Republican. Um, that's something to look at. I, I, I can't dismiss it by saying, well, the polls are all wrong. I, 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 I just can't do that. They, they might be off one or two points or something, but that, that's about it for me. Uh, one thing I can look at in, in, in polling is that just today, in a brand-new NBC poll, 81 percent of the American people think the economy is bad. Well, that's not good for the party in power. Um, another thing that's happening is the age of the voters is breaking strongly in one way. I'm just grabbing a state here. In Florida, 80 percent of the early vote is over the age of 50. Um so, so I'm I'm fearful that also in that NBC poll they said six percent of the national vote is, is young voters. Six percent is not enough. Um, so what I'm basing it on is history, guys, and one more thing. Every time somebody goes to the grocery store, the gas station, or to buy anything, they get hit. They are reminded of inflation every day uh, because it's it's hitting them right in their face. They're having to live with it. And the voters, I believe, are surly as a result. So we'll get into individual pitch, but I think you probably get a drift of where I might be going with what I'm going to say during that time. There we are. Okay, well,
1: let me lay some in. I feel like I need to have my shopping channel show where I talk about shop the sales. You know, hey, I share with everybody Twitter, lobster tails, two for $10 at Kroger. It's usually $8.99 a piece. You won't be complaining about inflation as much. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but seriously, you know, Tim, I know what you're saying about history, but we're in such a weird moment in history. We have had divided nations, but it's been divided. By geography in that, you had these states in the south and these states in the north, these states in the west, these states in the east, those kind of divisions. We have divisions now, but we don't have red states and blue states. That is such a fallacy. We have blue cities and red rural areas. And therefore, everything's mixed up all over the country. So I think it is going to be a different moment in history. Just like no one's ever going to get these high, high approval ratings if everything's going right, great, and they're never going to get really, really low approval ratings if things are going horrible because of how divided we are. So I do think that's a wrinkle at this moment in time in history. Now, when we get into you know what have we seen their facts? Like I sent y'all that article from Five Thirty Eight. It was a Republican consultant in Brooklyn. I want to say his name was Nathan or uh, Nathaniel Red. Nathan Red. If y'all remember the name, correct me, and he went on just like, oh, things are terrible, and that's Biden's terrible, and that's why the Republicans are going to win, inflation's high,
0: and he never gave a fact,
1: and I like facts. Now, if we look at elections, there was a special election in New Mexico, there was the governor's recall in California, they went in the Democrats' favor, then the 2012 elections happened. And they were awful. And if Virginia and um, and, uh, New Jersey and several other elections that happened across the country that day, if that's the indicator, yeah, things are going to be bad.
3: But since then, we've had all these other
1: special elections. We've had primaries that ended up having um, uh, referendums on abortion rights. Those trended democratically. So that's kind of like what do we make of that? Maybe because of special elections. There's going to be a bigger turnout um, in this general election, so maybe that's not a good indicator. Don't know. Then we got to move on to the polls. The polls have kind of varied, no doubt about it. We're going to get deep into polling here in a minute with Tom Jensen, so I don't want to spend too much time. But the polls, you know, you can see a poll um, of the Georgia Senate race, and if you wanted Raphael Warnock to be up by six, you could point to this poll. And if you wanted Herschel Walker to be up by four, you could point to this other poll. And if you wanted anywhere in between, there were three other polls to fit your needs. Um, all in this past week. So that's what's kind of you know frustrating about the polls. So then we have to look at the early vote. And the big question, and, and um, Evan Scrimshaw stated on Twitter this past week, we don't know about how big the universe is. But we kind
3: of have some...
1: Uh, experience with it in certain states in georgia in nevada in arizona you know pennsylvania is rather new but in those states some of those states because every state's d- different. different it does look terrible but in those states we've been having democratic consultants like tom bonier like simon rosenberg pointing out the facts of where it looks like and the early vote is really good for democrats in a lot of places um, and so that kind of
0: begins to give you some optimism.
1: There's even some trends within it. I saw Tom Binder say about that older electorate. Within that 65-up electorate, more Democrats that are senior citizens are coming out than Republicans are coming out. That was something he pulled out of his data at Target Smart. So there's all this information. And I know y'all, I just hit y'all with a fat water hose just then.
3: But, Catherine, now that
1: I've put in some pluses and some minuses, what, what, do, what do you think about all that?
3: Um, you know, you said something about uh, needing facts. Well, we aren't going to have any facts until after Election Day right now. Like, we just don't have then any. That's the whole, you know, that's the, – the facts come out when, ever, when all the votes get counted, I'm still optimistic. I recognize that it may be uh my Pollyanna uh personality, but um I still think that um I still think that Democrats are going to prevail.
1: Okay. We'll we'll start
3: we'll start getting into
1: that one moment. Tim? I've given all this information. I want to ask specifically about the early vote. You've been seeing all the data, because I bet you've been looking at it and finding it before I send it to you, but I send it to you all. And so what's your take on these early votes?
0: Well, you're right about one thing. It looks pretty good for Democrats in some states, and and in other states it doesn't. Um, I I know that uh, it looks pretty good, for instance, uh, out in uh, Arizona. Right next door in Nevada, John Ralston said it looks bad for Democrats. Uh, in Florida, it looks dreadful. I mean, more there's been actually more Republican early voters in Florida than Democratic early voters. It's, it's, it's like the Democratic Party in that state's bordering on a collapse. Um, we can't say about a state like Pennsylvania, you know, they don't stress – any any type of in-person early voting or anything, anything they do is absentee. And they've only had about 100,000 um, early voters as a result, which, you know, we dwarf that, of course, uh, in, in a state like this. And Georgia, incidentally, is a state where the early vote has been among the largest in the country. And there's a, probably a variety of reasons why. I hope some of them are good for us. I think they are, but uh, by the same token, I I think some Republican campaigns have stressed early voting a lot more than they have in the past. Um, Nationally, um, it appears that Democrats, according to NBC's poll today, Democrats 49-41 with uh, 10%. Other, um, whatever other might be, and and the other might be where the election could be. So, um, we 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 need some of our core groups that hadn't voted to come out to vote in person, especially young people, and uh, I'd love to see some more African Americans flood the polls too.
1: Yeah, and, and African Americans have come out in big numbers in Georgia. Twenty nine point two percent of the electorate, um, thirty is an incredible number, and the others are not about nine percent, and they actually think that the under is more people of color than um, white voters. Um, so it probably is over thirty. So that was you know pretty incredible number there. So let's get into some
0: state-by-state picks.
1: And we're going to go out west first, and we're we'll going to make our way back east a bit. The governor's races, and I'm going to say this, I feel so confident about picking which candidate's going to do better in a state, but I don't feel very confident at all about who's actually going to win, and I'm this same way about Arizona. Um, Tim, who do you think is going to win the Arizona governor's race? Blake. by.
0: All three four points.
3: Oh, go ahead. Uh, I'm through. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Catherine? I'm sorry. I have not looked at that in a long time, so I can't say. Unfortunately, I think Carly Lake may win, and that's one
1: of those where I feel better about Mark Kelly by a good amount than I do um, Katie Hobbs. Um, that part I thought, because the, the thing could trend one way or the other, and it may sweep both, and I'm going to say this five more times. Um, about different ones, but um, Carly Lake, it seems like for some reason her personality being so telegenic and, and uh, powerful um, has really given her an edge. Um, now, Tim, catch me where I uh, go to the wrong race. Uh, Nevada governor's race.
0: Um, your
1: thoughts there?
0: I believe Lombard will win. That will be a Republican pickup.
1: Yeah, and I think, think that's a real shame, and I think the Republicans are doing better and possibly even better than the Senate race. This may be the case where they kind of go together a little more because the polls have shown them together, and I do trust that number. But um, it's real weird how everybody's angry, but a bunch of incumbents are going to win. Um, but that's a case where the incumbents probably in more trouble than most other incumbent governors around the country that are up for reelection. Catherine, your thoughts on the vote? Well, that
3: that's governor a common thoughts. problem, right? Nobody wants everybody wants term limits, but not with their congressman or their governor, right? I mean, it's it's common. I'm unfortunately going to agree on uh, uh, the Republican taking the that governorship. Yeah. Now, now, Tim, don't let
1: me skip over state, but I want to say in our on our map. We will move up to Wisconsin if we're going west to east. Yes. Oh man, I passed memory and geography. So Catherine, <laughs> Wisconsin. We had Anthony Turgoski on the other day. Um, uh, Tony Evers, incumbent, running against Tim Michaels, the challenger. Your thoughts?
3: I'm sorry. I'm just not. I'm just not looking at. I know. I, I know it. Uh, it behooves me to. Look at things. I just don't look at things the same way as you guys do. I just can't uh, I can't get into predictions in states that I'm just not that familiar with. So I apologize for not being prepared for that question either.
1: Okay, Tim, your thoughts on the Wisconsin governor's race?:
0: Yeah, Michaels uh will win not by much, but he will win another Republican pickup. Okay, this is the last prediction before we
1: get our guest in here. Tony Evers will do better than Mandela Barnes, and Tony Evers will win re-election. This is the first time you and I split on one, so we'll see what happens from there. But I want to welcome back into the Kudzu Vine one of our most frequent and favorite guests from public policy polling, Tom Jensen. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Hey, good to be with you all. Yeah, good to have you, and – By the way, Tom, while we're doing this, if you want to make any predictions as we're going through, you feel free to jump in. But we got some – I got some general questions, and then Tim and Catherine have state questions for you. Um, But right off, something that's happened throughout this year has been in the summer – actually, the Republicans led early, I guess, coming out of those 2012 um, New Jersey and and, uh, Virginia elections, and then Democrats started to pick up in the polls. And now Republicans have started to pick up. And the more I learn about it, it sounds like the voter screen changed. That what was used to be a registered voter poll is now a likely voter and then there's extremely likely. And some people were saying, Are you a nine or ten? Those are the only people are counting. And so, Tom, tell me what you know about you don't have to tell your trade secrets, but how a lot of polling firms begin to tighten that voter screen and how much that's actually been what's moved the polls more than commercials on crime or
2: abortion rights or anything else. Yeah, so it's very common for, polls, for polling companies to uh, generate numbers that are both among registered voters and among likely voters. And usually uh, up until about Labor Day, the numbers that get focused on more are the registered voters' numbers, Uh, And then after Labor Day, the numbers that tend to get focused on more are the likely voters' numbers. And generally speaking, the likely voter numbers are better for Republicans historically than the registered voter numbers are. Because with registered voter numbers, uh, since you're not making any predictions about who's going to turn out and who's not and that sort of thing, you're going to have older voters who tend to be more Republican and younger voters who tend to be more Democratic Uh, Represented pretty evenly in the poll Uh, You're going to have white voters who tend to be more Republican And African American and Latino voters who are uh, more likely to be uh, Democratic Represented equally in the polls And then when you switch to likely voters uh, Generally the case is that uh, older people vote more than younger people Uh, White people vote more than people of color So then those groups get smaller levels of representation in likely voter polls, uh, and that's why those often end up coming out looking better for Republicans. Okay, and
1: and the next question I had for you was in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of talk about how there's been one less public polling from general media firms, and then groups like Insider Advantage, Trafalgar few others that that slipped my mind, have flooded the zone with more polls. And so um, people think that there's kind of a dual purpose there. One is to affect the real clear politics average or other polling averages, and then also the concept of hurting, where no one wants to have a poll that looks too much different from anyone else's. Have you heard this theory, and what's your take on it?
2: Well, I've certainly uh, seen this theory that Republicans are really trying to to manipulate the polling averages. And then I've also seen people saying, you know, Democrats could release a lot of polls, too, but they must be getting really bad polls for Democrats. So that's why they're not releasing anything. And I can tell you, we did about 200 polls in the last month. And I think two or three of them uh, got released publicly uh, because, the reality is at least on the democratic side, there's just not any interest in gaming the real clear politics average or anything like that. Uh, you know, if our clients had had all of our polls released in the uh, last few weeks, uh, it might make things look a little bit better for Democrats than all these Republican polls have, but there's just not a real uh, interest or concern with doing that on the, uh, democratic side. It is very unusual, uh, when campaigns and political organizations and those kinds of things are uh, commissioning polls, it's very unusual for them to, to release them or have any interest in releasing them. So I, I wouldn't take it to mean too much one way or another. Yes, and, and another
1: question kind of in that vein. I know that it's getting harder to get people to answer calls. I had no idea how bad it could be. But I heard about a poll of Wisconsin in the past week or two in which – or it was talked about in the past week or two. They took it during the cycle. They had a 1% response rate um, just to get somebody on the line to begin to answer the poll. Um, What is it like in cycle 2020 trying to do polling research with response rates?
2: Well, response rates have been pretty bad for a long time now, but I actually have not found them to be any worse this year uh, than they had been any of the last two cycles. Um, One thing that we're willing to do that some other polling companies I think are a little more strident about is, you know, if we call your household and only one person's at home, we're happy to talk to that person for the poll, uh, whereas some of these polls that are, talking about 1% response rates and stuff like that, when they call a household, they want to talk to a specific person in that household. And if that person's not there, they just don't even do an interview uh, within the house and that sort of thing. So uh, I'm not saying that any one approach is correct or incorrect or uh, anything like that. But uh, certainly, you know, if you're calling a, a family of four and you're only willing to talk to one person in the house, even if somebody else in the house is willing to talk to you, uh, then it is going to be a lot harder and take a lot
0: longer for you to get a poll completed.
3: Yes,
1: and then kind of a question that relates to that, and then I'm going to pass it on for state questions. Um, you know, we know that in the past when people talked to George W. Bush voters and uh, John McCain voters and Mitt Romney voters, they got good response rates, but then Donald Trump brought in a new – a breed of Republican that does not trust any, you know, standard um, establishment entities, and they didn't answer polls at the same rate, and so that group did not answer polls in the same way. As they've become, I guess, multi-cycle voters now, assuming they will vote, have they gotten to where they will be more trusting of polling firms
2: and answer uh, polls more readily? Well, in 2020, we could definitely see in our raw data that Democrats were answering polls at a considerably higher rate than Republicans, Uh, and we did weighting to try to account for that and make sure that our polls weren't too Democratic, but obviously we know from the difference between the results in 2020 and what the uh, polls said that uh, the weighting did not do enough to fully account for that. And I think a big part of why that happened in 2020 uh, was that by the time he September and October, Democrats were still staying at home because of the pandemic and there to answer polls, uh, while on the other hand, Republicans, uh, you know, were sort of back out living their normal lives and thus weren't home to answer polls. And we had a really big sort of partisan imbalance in terms of uh, who responded because of that. And we're really not seeing that this election cycle so much Uh, You know, most of the polls, the vast majority of the polls that we do, uh, the people who answer them are pretty well balanced between the two sides uh, in contrast to uh, 2020 when Democrats were answering at a much higher rate than uh, Republicans were. So I'm going to be pretty surprised if there's a significant polling error this year. Uh, And if the polls are off this year, uh, I think it is actually not going to be because the polls were wrong. But because there's some unique dynamics uh, going on this year, which is uh, namely that Democrats uh, and Democratic-leaning voters sort of got behind their candidates much earlier in the year than Republicans did. So I'll give you an example of a congressional poll that we did this last week. Uh, The Democrat was up uh, 48 to 43, but – Uh, The generic ballot in the district, the Republicans had a two-point lead on it. And when you asked uh, uh, people how they felt about Joe Biden, he had a minus 10 approval. So pretty impressive for the Democrat to be up by five with the generic ballot at R plus two and Biden at minus 10 approval. Well, there were about 10, 11 percent of voters undecided in the poll. And it turned out that about two-thirds of the people who were undecided – when you named the candidates, supported a Republican on their generic ballot. So the Democrats up by five. But then if you gave all the undecideds to their generic ballot, all of a sudden the Democrats only up by half a point. And then if you ask those undecideds how they felt about Biden, about 10% approved of the job he was doing and about 80% disapproved. And if you gave all the undecideds to the Democrat if they approved of Biden and to the Republican if they disapproved of Biden, All of a sudden, that five-point lead for the Democrat has become a three-point lead for the Republican. And even though I'm just giving you one specific district, this is something we have seen in a lot of our polls this cycle. Uh, So we basically, every poll that we send off to a client, we say, you know, here's the top line, which in a lot of cases has been pretty decent for Democrats. But you also need to understand what's going to happen if these undecideds break to their generic ballot, if these undecideds break to their feelings about Biden. And in those cases, you could end up having a much more Republican outcome. And people just, you know, really want to say, oh, you had so-and-so up by five and they lost by one. You're a terrible pollster. Well, we told our client, you know, that this is something that very well could happen. Uh, And that's, I think, where a lot of sort of the nuance in evaluating the job that pollsters do kind of just gets thrown out the window. Yes,
1: very instructive story. I guess the only saving grace is generic Republicans is sounding more and more like an oxymoron as all the generic <laughs> Republicans seem to go away and we get stuck with the crowd we got now. Well, I'm going to pass That's this thing to Tim. Point. We'll pass it to Catherine. And maybe there'll
0: be some time left for me to ask about a specific state. Kim? Good evening, my old friend. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, Tim. It's great to be with you. Yeah, once more to the breach, right? Uh, We've done this uh, (laughs) more than a couple of times over the years, (laughs) but uh, tell you what I'm going to do, even though I'm going to jump around the country a little bit, I want to start right there in your state. Um, You you know, I'm a political hack, working a lot of campaigns, and. Every once in a while, you get a dream candidate, somebody that checks all the boxes as far as electability and and everything else. And you know, Tom, Kerry Beasley looks like a really, really fine candidate. But, you know, I've been watching what's been happening in the polling there. So... Is she just running in the wrong state, or is she running in the wrong year? Or what is happening that's making her fall behind there?
2: Uh, I think it's the wrong year more than anything else. She's really held up pretty well uh, over the course of the campaign uh, for the most part. Uh, for most of the campaign, she's posted significantly better favorability numbers than Ted Bud had. Uh, But it Mm -hmm. never was uh, it was never anything other than a very close race, even when Beasley did have much better numbers than Bud, because you always had sort of looming over the whole thing that President Biden's approval rating in the states, you know, maybe in the upper 30s or around 40 percent. And it just makes it hard for a a party's candidates to succeed if they have an unpopular uh, president at the top of the ticket. Um, And it's also been a dynamic with her. Where Democrats came out of the primary very excited about her and went right on ahead and said that they you know would support her in the general election, Ted Budd came out of a considerably more divisive Republican primary, and a lot of people uh, sort of emerged from that not feeling very good about him so over the course of the summer and early fall, when you would often have polls tied between the two of them or even have Beasley up sometimes a little bit, you would always see that almost all of the undecideds were these Republicans who weren't that excited about Bud. Uh, And the question was just sort of, are those people going to end up coming home or are they really going to stay stubborn uh, and keep refusing to vote for Bud? And I think what we've seen in the last month or so is that a lot of those people are sort of starting to come home. So whereas Beasley sort of, had most of the support that she's going to be able to get locked in a long time ago. Uh, Bud's has been a lot later and slower developing, uh, but he's had sort of a higher ceiling uh,
0: than she did, even though it was taking him a while to get up there. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, in the past, she's won statewide races there. And, and even when she lost, she lost by literally a few hundred votes. So she has appeal across party lines, and I cannot picture Ted Budd having appeal across party lines. Has she not been able to draw some disaffected uh, conservative voters over to her side?
2: No, for the most part, conservatives are pretty much completely lined up behind Bud. Uh, and then the other thing that keeps on happening to Democrats in North Carolina is a little bit of a turnout issue. You know, at, mm-hmm. the, at its core, at its core, North Carolina is a 50-50 state. But in mm-hmm. 2020, Republicans won nearly all of the statewide races by a couple points. Uh, and the simple reason why was that 81% of Republicans turned out to vote, and only 75% of Democrats turned out to vote, and that basically made the difference in uh, turning all those 50-50 sort of races into small Republican wins. Uh, and based on the early vote in North Carolina this year, I think we may be headed for a similar dynamic. Democrats had about a seven-point registration advantage in the early vote, uh, which is a little bit more than their four-point registration advantage in the state. Uh, so on the surface, that looks like good news. Uh, but what happened in 2020 and what I anticipate is probably going to happen again this year is Republicans just winning Election Day uh, by an overwhelming margin. I think that uh, the vast majority of Democratic votes in North Carolina that are going to be cast have already been cast, uh, whereas a lot of Republicans are going to come out on Election Day. I'd expect uh, expect Beasley to be ahead when the early vote drops at 735 on election night, Uh, but I think that there's a pretty good chance from there that uh, Ted Budd's going to win Election Day by something like two to one, uh, and that would allow him to, to, to most likely overcome an initial deficit in the early vote. Hmm.
0: So uh, but because your early vote drops so quickly, the, the results in North Carolina should be known pretty fast, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's basically something where Democrats will peak for the night at 735, and then it'll just get worse and worse and worse as – uh, the election day uh, results coming over the course of the evening. So, you know, I would say basically with both the Senate race and with our most competitive congressional race, the 13th district in the, in the triangle, uh, in both of those, the Democrats should start out ahead uh, when the early vote drops. But they really need to be up by a fair amount or else mm-hmm. you're going to see at some point over the course of the night the Republican move ahead. Uh, and in both of those races, and really in just about any race in North Carolina, once the Republican gets ahead in a particular race it 's probably over uh because mm-hmm. the remaining yeah. election day vote coming in uh will be pretty heavily
0: republican
2: this yeah you you read night in twenty twenty
0: yeah you, you you read my mind, too, because uh, I was going to ask you one more question about North Carolina, and it was about that 13th district, but it's, it's a new district. And the reason I was so interested in this, not only does it look like in the polls, uh, you know, one or two-point race either way, but your Republican candidate is uh, – how did he describe himself? Oh, a MAGA warrior. <laughs> Won't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about this gentleman and what's going on in that district?
2: Well, Bo Hines is something like 26. Uh, he's never really done anything in his life. Uh, <laughs> when he started running, he was really sort of uh, branding himself as the, as the next Madison Cawthorn, and then Madison Cawthorn lost in the primary and I think he maybe started to realize that that wasn't going to be a winning message for him, that he was going to be the next Madison Cawthorn. Uh, So I I think if Bo Hines is elected to Congress, uh, he frankly will be one of the most clownish people there. Um, Just to talk about that district a little bit, it only voted for Joe Biden by one and a half points. Uh, So you would expect in a good Republican year – Uh, that Democrats would not have a very good chance anywhere that Biden only won by one and a half points. Because there's plenty of congressional districts across the country that Biden won by 12, 13, 14 points where Democrats are really uh, struggling. But I think that what has kept uh, the Democratic candidate Wiley Nickel really in the game in this district is that Bo Hines is such a poor and unqualified candidate – uh, that I think a lot of Republican-leaning voters are having a hard time bringing themselves to uh, to, to cast their ballots for him. Uh, but something that I've been saying a lot uh, over the last few weeks, and I, I hope to be wrong in this uh, sort of observation, but I, I don't know that that'll be the case, uh, is that you can trust Republicans to do the wrong thing in the end. Uh, so all of these races uh, where Republicans are polling poorly – because they have bad candidates and there's base Republican voters who say they don't want to vote for them. My feeling, and again, I hope I'm wrong, uh, is that most of these Republican based voters are going to end up voting for their candidates in the end, no matter how bad of a candidate they are, like in the case of Bo Hines. Uh, And if that does happen, then, uh, you know, I would expect that Bo Hines would end up winning it in the end. But the fact that it's even stayed as close as it has for so long
0: Uh, I think,
2: speaks to his poorness as a candidate. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Now I want to jump up the country a little bit because uh, Ron Johnson looked to be like, hang a sign on him that says beat me earlier in the year. Had a good candidate running against him who jumped out to a pretty good lead. And frankly, that lead vanished or or appeared to vanish, and with Johnson blowing right by him. And uh, a lot of people credit the crime issue for that. Is that what sunk Barnes in Wisconsin if he goes on to lose, or is it just a Republican year there?
2: Well, I'll tell you uh, an observation from my own polling is we never had Barnes ahead of Johnson at any point. Uh, mm-hmm. and i think a lot of the perception that barnes did have a big lead at some point was pretty much just based on a single uh poll that came out of marquette university and i'm not mm-hmm. criticizing that poll you know whatsoever uh but it's a very powerful poll nationally in terms of how people sort of perceive things in wisconsin precisely because it has been such a good poll over the years but no matter how good of a poll you are you sometimes have Outliers, and at the time that they had uh, Barnes ahead by seven in August, we were kind of seeing a, a tide race there, uh, and and now now we see Johnson up, you know, more like three or four points, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's it's possible that uh, really hammering uh, Mandela Barnes on crime over the last two months has moved the needle some, uh, but we don't actually think that this has been that volatile of a race. We think it's sort of been. Uh, generally, something that was in between being a tie and a little bit of a Johnson lead, uh, and that is just more a product of the political climate than anything else. In a 50-50 state like Wisconsin, if it's a Republican year overall, you'd expect Republicans to win in Wisconsin. Uh, so I think that very straightforward sort of big-picture
0: uh, explanation is is probably the biggest reason. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about a couple of more states, uh, Tom, and, and where I'm going with this is I, I'm a little fearful of, of a wave, to be honest with you. I mean, in in a normal midterm year, you, you would think the, the conditions are perfect for it. So I'm going just to a couple of states here where it looked like the Democrat was safe, uh, and that turns out not to be case. Now, you know Maggie Hassan um, won her first race barely in New Hampshire. But it was figured that when Governor Sununu did not run, she would have token opposition and sailed to re-election, and for most of the year it did. All of a sudden, all of a sudden things have started tightening up. So, so could could we see a surprise on Tuesday night? In New Hampshire
2: there Yep an upset in New Hampshire On Tuesday night is definitely Possible Uh, and that Race is emblematic of several things That we've already talked about a little Bit but I think you know it's good to just Reiterate them Uh, a big Part of why she was up by Eight nine points a month Ago uh, is that Republicans Nominated a really weak candidate And Don Bolduc he's uh, Said a lot of really extreme things and Uh, Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans were so eager for him not to be their candidate uh, that they spent millions of dollars uh, on the primary promoting a different candidate, Chuck Morse, who was uh, a lot more on the moderate side of the spectrum. Uh, But going back to this, Republicans will do the wrong thing in the end, Uh, even though initially after the primary, a lot of Republicans were not committing to
3: uh, voting
2: for Bolduc increasingly over the last few weeks we're seeing the Republican base sort of fall in line on that front. Uh, So that's one big piece of it. Uh, We still have Senator Hassan up by a little bit, uh, but I'll tell you something, uh, and this is something that we're seeing in New Hampshire. We're seeing it in Georgia. We're seeing it in Arizona. We're seeing it in Pennsylvania. It's a very consistent thing that we're seeing across a bunch of different states, uh, which is that uh, when you ask people in general, do you want a Republican-controlled Senate Do you want a Democratic-controlled Senate? People in all those states are saying that they want a Republican-controlled Senate. So you'd think, okay, well, maybe Republicans are going to win all those races. But in every single one of those states, Democrats have a stronger candidate than Republicans do. Hassan's a better candidate than Bullock. Uh, Reverend Warnock is a better candidate than Herschel Walker. Mark Kelly's a better candidate than Blake Masters. John Fetterman's a better candidate than Dr. Oz. Uh, So we, for the most part, in all those races – are seeing the Democrats ever so slightly ahead, but then we're also seeing that even though the specific Democratic candidates are ever so slightly ahead, people in general would rather vote for a Republican. So the big question that's going to end up determining all those races, and I really think we could end up with anywhere from a 51-49 Democratic Senate all the way to a 54-46 Republican Senate, uh, is just what matters more. Uh, Do the candidates themselves actually matter the most, in which case the Democrats will win because people like the Democratic candidates better in all of these races? Or does the general political atmosphere just end up taking the day? Biden's unpopular in all those states. People generally want a Republican Senate in all those states. If that ends up being the defining factor at the end, you know, Republicans may end up running the table on all those close races. And again, what we're seeing with the undecided voters in these key Senate races is that they don't like Biden. They want a Republican Senate, that sort of thing. But they also don't like Don Bullock. They don't like Herschel Walker. They don't like Blake Masters. They don't like Dr. Oz. So those people sort of making a decision on whether to vote for somebody who they think is noxious or not uh, is kind of going to end up deciding how all those races end up uh, coming down in the end. Okay,
0: and I'm going to stop right there, uh, Tom. In the interest of time, I want to send it over to Catherine now. Catherine,
3: hi, Tom. Great to have hey, you. Hey, Catherine.
0: From. Thank I you. Have
3: just two states I want to ask you about. Um, first, I want to talk about Michigan. How are we looking in Michigan, and are there can we expect any surprises on election night, or the days following?
2: <laughs> so I think I think that we are slightly ahead in all the statewide races in Michigan, uh, and that's been made out in some quarters as having been some huge uh, sort of decline in Democratic strength over the last month. That, oh, at one point, uh, Gretchen Whitmer and the rest of the Democratic ticket was up by like 15 points, and now things are free-falling and the races are really close. We've always found the races to be really close. I think – uh, similar to that thing with the single Marquette poll sort of creating this narrative that Mandela Barnes had been way up and then fallen apart uh, the Detroit newspapers and the Detroit TV stations uh, have commissioned some polls that have uh, at various points had Gretchen Whitmer and the Democratic ticket up way more than uh, than 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 our polling or other polling has and I think it created this perception that Democrats were in better shape than they ever actually were. So I think those races lean Democratic. uh, uh, And, you know, I would predict Democratic wins, but it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility uh, that the Republicans could catch up at the end. And the other kind of interesting thing in Michigan is the uh, statewide ballot question related to abortion rights, because this is something that was passing like 65 to 25 over the summer. Uh, And now we're finding it passing only 49 to 40 on the most recent poll that we did. Uh, And the reason that's happened is it's sort of turned from being something where you had Democrats completely united and then also a decent number of Republicans saying that they were in support of it. Uh, It's now turned into something that breaks down pretty much completely along partisan lines. So Democrats for it, Republicans against it. My guess at the end of the day is that – the uh percentage of the vote Gretchen Whitmer and Tudor Dixon get for governor is also going to be the percentage of the vote that yes and no get uh on this abortion question. I think that it's going to end up being uh very much tied up in line with how the state votes overall.
3: Okay, that's really interesting. I'll have to report that to my friends in Michigan who are in you know basically in panic mode <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, I have to ask you about Georgia. Um, you know, these polls Up and down, back and forth I mean, Governor, it looks it's not that tight But with the Senate race It's just like up and down And it's sort of horrifying to me To think that we could actually Elect Herschel Walker But it looks like that's What's your, you know, we're two days out now What do you think?
2: So a month ago, we had Herschel Walker up 51 to 46. He was even over, I mean, excuse me, we had Reverend Warnock up 51 to 46. Uh, He was even over the uh, runoff threshold, and that was sort of at the peak of all of Herschel Walker's bad abortion-related news and his personal life and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, We do see a closer race now. It's more like a a one-point lead for Reverend Warnock, and uh, again, The same general trends that we're seeing in all the key Senate races hold in Georgia, too. The voters generally want a Republican senator. Biden's unpopular. The voters who are still undecided want a Republican Senate and don't like Biden. But there is hesitation to vote for Herschel Walker. Uh, And it's sort of just a question of whether these people who know that Herschel Walker should not be in the Senate, but – also don't want to vote for a Democrat, uh, are going to end up deciding at the end of the day to just vote for Herschel Walker or maybe leave it blank or maybe even uh, cast their votes for Reverend Warnock. Uh, so it's, you know, given how close it is, given the fact that the libertarians polling at 2 or 3%, uh, I'd really say it's about equal odds on Tuesday of having a runoff uh Warnock wins without a runoff and Walker wins without a runoff. I, I, I realize that's being very squirrely to <laughs> to say <laughs> that all those outcomes have about the the same chance. But I have shown you my work. I have explained to you why uh there 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 really is so much uncertainty between those three outcomes.
3: Yeah, I uh and and how about the governor? Does the uh, have a you
2: know, Uh I think that, you know, things are looking pretty good for Governor Kemp. Uh, You know, basically a a simple distillation of it is in 2018, it was an incredibly strong Democratic uh, political climate, and uh, he's still one by one. And, of course, now it's an incredibly strong Republican political climate. So uh, I guess it's probably not shocking if he does a little bit better this time around.
3: Okay. Well, with that, I'm going to pass it back to David because I think he may have some additional questions. Thanks so much, Tom. We really appreciate having you on the show. Of course. Sure. David? David?
0: Well, apparently we have lost David, Tom. So I'll tell you what (laughs) I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you the $64,000 question. You done? By your own admission, two hundred polls uh lately. <laughs> and uh you you pretty well have a sense of where this thing's going. So there there's different scenarios. We can have a close win for either side, a big win for either side or, or basically a, 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 a tie set in place. What well, what's your pleasure? Does, does this thing look like a wave or is it gonna be closer?
2: Well, I think Republicans are likely to get control of the House. My best guess right now is that they would uh, gain about 20 seats, and I think that would make the balance of the power something like 232 to 203 in the House. I mean, to be clear, there's a bunch of other races where we found Democrats sort of between a tie and uh, just being up by one or two points. So uh, I can see a world where Republicans do possibly end up winning a whole lot more seats than that. Uh, but I, I think that if you really made me give you an exact number, I'd say uh, Republicans pick up 20 House seats. Um, the Senate, uh, the Senate. My feeling is that our most likely outcome is that y'all are going to have a runoff that determines control of the Senate, just like you did two years ago. So have have fun with with having the campaign continue oh, on for another month. I mean, you know, again, as I said, there's so many close races that Republicans could end up with 54. Uh, it's possible that Democrats could already have the Senate clinched uh, after Tuesday if they run the table in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, uh, you know, and New Hampshire. Uh, but I think there's a, a, a pretty decent chance that after our election night, Republicans have 50 seats, Democrats have 49 seats. Reverend Warnock wins by a point. The Libertarian gets three points, and, uh, and you all get to decide it for the whole country again. And you all did a very good job on that two years ago, so we'll just be expecting you to do it again.
0: Oh, oh, yeah! I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it'll run as smoothly as can be when one Senate seat determines, like, the future of democracy. It, it, I'm, I'm sure everybody'll behave and everything will be just wonderful. And, and me sitting in the middle of Marjorie Taylor Greene's district to top it off—what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so, it, it, uh, David, are you back yeah. with us, buddy?
1: I I am. I, I I triple muted myself and that was. and I totally took two off. Well Tom, I was gonna tell you you've done an outstanding job tonight, but since you're from Carolina, I just wanna let you know don't celebrate too early and rip off your helmet. Uh, election day's not yet. So, um <laughs> just uh thanks for joining in with us tonight and uh, maybe we can keep making this a, a you know, a biannual tradition right before election day because you're just a great source to kind of know where things are with polling um, right before, you know, our last show for the election.
2: Well, I certainly always enjoy chatting with you all, and I'd be happy to do that in perpetuity if you want me. Absolutely, Thank you, Tom. Uh, no qualms here. Well,
1: Tom, thanks again.
2: Okay. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, take, take care. Yep.
1: Bye. Tom Jensen of public policy polling. Uh, look up public policy polling site. When they did release polls, follow him on Twitter. He did an excellent interview with another friend of the show, David Neer, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, listen when he's on other things, guys. We are getting close, but we're going. We'll stay over a little bit and get some predictions in. Uh, we just did Wisconsin governor. Um, Tim was Pennsylvania governor on the list Or did we decide that one wasn't Pennsylvania
0: not? governor was not On the list it appears to be A, a double why. digit win For Shapiro up yeah. there now that, That's one case where I guess that we think
1: Mastrona is a bridge Too far so do we move down to Georgia Is that our final governor's pick that, That's the final one yes Alright so So Georgia Catherine um, What's your take on Georgia
3: well, I uh I am, I'm going to say Stacy takes it in a very very slim and a very very slim margin.
0: Okay?
1: Uh, Tim, your 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 take on Georgia.
0: Well, um I, I, I guess I got to go kind of with with what Tom was was saying to us. I think Kemp could win this one by as many as six points, but I'm I'm pretty confident he's gonna he's gonna win.
1: Yeah, I'll go ahead and kind of do my same framework. I think Raphael Warnock is the leading Democratic vote getter. He runs ahead of Stacey Abrams. I'll even go ahead and tell you on the Republican side. Um, State School Superintendent Richard Woods is going to be the leading um, Republican vote getter. Um, but that said, when it comes to the governor's race, I looked at the early vote and I felt like, wow, this is coming so good that maybe Stacey Abrams could push it to a runoff. I just don't know that that's the case. One, I don't think Shane Hazel's going to get enough of the vote to matter, and then in, in a significant way. And additionally, the ticket splitters. Um, really do seem real, and that's going to be really good for Rafael Warnock, uh, but then that's going to cause Stacey Abrams to, you know, not be able to get this thing done in uh, the governor's side. So now let's go back out west to the Senate race. I'll even go quick and go first. Mark Kelly is going to win. He's just too popular, and Blake Masters is just too weird, even though the polling has gotten strange on this. Um Catherine the Arizona uh Senate race.
3: I agree with you. Sorry I'll win.
0: Okay, Tim. Although I don't share your overwhelming optimism, I'm gonna say here that Kelly hangs on somehow by less than two points. Yes,
3: and and
1: I'll tell you what The good thing for Mark Kelly That this is probably no more than the third scariest thing he's ever done You know, he had to help his wife recover from a tragic accident He's gone into space You know, run a Senate race Probably seems like small potatoes at that point Um, Nevada Now, a few weeks ago, months ago We talked about the Titus race We all said this was it Um, You know, Cortez Masto run against Adam Laxalt Um, Catherine, your thought on Nevada
0: the center race? Um, I'm not going to.
3: I'm not going to. Sorry. Go okay, Kim. Well, uh, Nevada does
0: not look good across the board. Laxalt is going to win. That's going to be a Republican pickup right there.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of just...
1: Wanted to think it was going to be better, and there are some things that you could point to for some optimism, um, you know, pieces of information. But when I was out in Nevada, it felt like Florida in a lot of ways, and I don't mean the, the weather. Um It had some of that individualist ethos, and, and I don't mean the good kind of individualism. I mean kind of just the every person for themselves kind of ethos. And so if Nevada started trending more like Florida, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, And so and I was in Las Vegas here where the boat is, not up in the north half of the state where no one lives. And I did hear there may be some bad weather up there in that north half of the state, but will it matter because nobody lives there? So I'm going to say that's going to be the one that keeps us at the 50-50 with Kamala Harris being a tie because um, Adam Lacksaw will win. I think we wanted to go to Pennsylvania and Ohio back-to-back Um, Catherine, are you going to pick on the Oz-Fetterman race?
3: Oh, yeah, I'll say Fetterman.
0: Okay, I'll just be quick. Fetterman, Tim? This was my toughest one. I went back and forth, back and forth, but I decided that since Oz's approval rating is at 36%, that Fetterman is going to win slightly, maybe by a point.
1: Yeah, they just don't like Oz, and he keeps shooting himself in the foot even today, not knowing the Steelers' football schedule or anybody on the campaign (laughs) on it. That's probably the bigger problem. Uh, Let's go to Ohio. Um, I'll even say this one first because I'm the one that put it on the board. J.D. Vance is just not well-liked by a lot of Republican-leaning voters in Ohio, the same kind of people Tom Jensen kept mentioning that probably won a Republican Senate. Uh, and that kind of thing, but they just like Tim Ryan better as a person. Um, If there was one race that was going to be like the upset and show that, like, Democrats are having a better night, I think this could be the one more so than North Carolina, more so than Florida, Um, and it's going to be like, man, it's going to be like better or worse Stacey Abrams in 2018. It's going to be man, he was so close, but unfortunately I think the trend of that state um, gets him. Um, Catherine, uh, thoughts on Ryan and J.D. Vance?
3: I think Ryan can pull it off.
1: I hope you're right. Uh,
0: Tim? Well, Trump won Ohio by nine points. Vance won't run that well, but he's pulling away a little bit now. He'll win by five to seven points. It is Ohio.
1: But there's been, you know... The, yeah, he, it's, Tim Ryan. I've heard this is maybe run the best campaign of anybody this cycle, um, and so finally we're coming back to Georgia. Um, Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker, um, Catherine. Uh, your pick Warnock.
0: there. Warnock. Tim. Yeah, hey, I'm going for a runoff with Walker, very slightly ahead.
1: I could see if turnout works out fine where Warnock wins without a runoff. But I think – I feel really confident in this – the leading vote getter on Election Day, even if no one gets to 50, will be Raphael Warnock. He will lead Herschel Walker on um, Election Day. So uh, we've had a few disagreements here and there, but by and large got there. I think our final thing was who wins the House, who wins the Senate. You can pretty much deduce who won the Senate. But um, I don't have a specific number um, for uh,
0: House, but, Tim, your pick for the House. The Republicans, uh, a minimum of 20-seat pickup, my guess is more like in the 25- to 31-seat range. Okay. Catherine?
3: I don't have a number.
1: Yeah, I, I don't either. Does it flip or does it hold?
3: I uh I think it holds.
1: Okay. I think unfortunately it flips. Between between redistricting and just uh different races of Republicans control that I think it does flip and that may get us some interesting conversations from there. I'll go first on Senate. I think it ends up at the end of all the runoffs and things. It's gonna be fifty fifty with Kamala Harris um still breaking the pie because of that. Um Nevada race, but I wish somehow uh, In particular, Ohio could um, Make it a 51-49
0: Us uh, Tim 51-49 Republican Okay, Catherine
3: 50-50 with Kamala
1: Now, so We shall see, and like we said I, I've, I've told, I think I've told you all this On and off there, my most um, un um you know uh confident in uh what I've ever picked. I don't know if y'all feel the same way or not, but we did get our picks and we'll know all about it next week. And we're gonna have quite an expert to help us talk about it. Uh one of the longest term smartest people in the past thirty, forty years of politics, Bill Snyder, is going to be our guest next week on the Kudzu Vine. Thanks
3: so then, everyone. Don't forget to vote if you haven't already. Good night,
0: guys. Good
3: night. We are the heirs of that
1: first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for...